the President of the United States is lying about the FBI, attacking the FBI, and attacking the rule of law in this country? How does that make any sense at all? Oh, because it's Monday. Or Tuesday. Or Wednesday. Or Thursday. Whenever. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest in China Lake, California. Also in California on Red Bluff and Re- in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, in Goldendale, Washington on KVGD, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio. And Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Coming up in a bit, we will try to catch up as much as possible on the fire hydrant of news un- unleashed on uh, late Friday over the weekend and continuing today on everything from the long overdue announced resignation of Donald Trump's corrupt Interior Department secretary to the case filed by Republicans against Obamacare, which a federal judge in Texas found in favor of, incredibly, uh, late on Friday, ruling the entire Affordable Care Act somehow unconstitutional. We'll try to get to what that means for you and doesn't, mostly doesn't. A couple of uh, new reports from the uh, for the bipartisan Senate Intelligence Committee arguing that Russia's influence on social media platforms in favor of Donald Trump both before and after the 2016 election, was far greater than previously reported publicly. Plus, as time allows, uh, maybe, hopefully, some updates on the story that we've been covering very closely here for the past several weeks regarding the massive North Carolina GOP absentee ballot election fraud scandal in the U.S. uh, House District 9 in uh, North Carolina, and as we reported on Friday, now spreading to other districts in the state as well. And if I'm lucky, I will try to get to some of your calls on any and all of the above as well somehow today at 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, write it down if you want to 
uh, ring in and you care to get in line right now. But uh, first, speaking of elections, as we do with no small amount of regularity on this uh, on the broadcast uh, throughout and since the 2018 midterm elections, we have been covering very closely the efforts by Georgia's former Republican Secretary of State, now Governor-elect Brian Kemp, to suppress the vote in his contest against popular African-American Democratic candidate Stacey Abrams. Following the very close election last month, Abrams formed a new nonprofit organization to file a lawsuit against the state of Georgia in an effort, in no small part, to prevent Kemp's appalling voter suppression tactics from being carried out by the new secretary of state in the future after they were used by Kemp against many African-American and other Democratic-leaning voters in, uh, in 2018, as he oversaw his own election contest with Abrams in November. Also cited in Abrams' lawsuit and in a lot of our broadcast coverage leading up to and following the midterms, and in fact, for about 15 years prior to it, um, is the easily hacked, oft-failed, 100% unverifiable Diebold touchscreen voting systems still used across the entire swing state of Georgia, Many in the Peach State have been calling for a verifiable paper ballot system there. Uh, and in fact, prior to the election, a federal judge agreed with a federal lawsuit filed by the nonpartisan coalition of good governance that Georgia's voting systems were completely unreliable, completely vulnerable to manipulation, both from foreigners and insiders alike, that, and that they are completely unoverseeable by the public and frankly, as the judge found, should never be used again in an election after the 2018 midterms. Now, even Georgia Republicans now, by and large, appear to favor what they describe as a paper ballot system for the state. But as we have been warning for many years now, a so-called paper ballot system, as opposed to a hand-marked paper ballot system, is not enough if we can't know that the candidates' selections on that paper are the ones actually intended by voters. Many Republicans in Georgia, including their new Republican Secretary of State-elect Brad Raffensperger, have joined with, in my opinion, too many Democrats, uh, both there and elsewhere, to call for a new voting system which creates what they are calling a paper ballot, but it is one that is marked by a computer touchscreen device, which then prints out a paper ballot summary card with the voters' uh, selections theoretically printed out, along with an unreadable barcode, which is then used by another computer, an optical scanner usually, to tabulate the results, all to avoid the much simpler and much cheaper and much more verifiable hand-marked paper ballot pen and paper system. The printed barcodes, of course, cannot be deciphered by humans, even though uh, they are used to tally the results and, and are considered uh, by some to be a human verifiable paper ballot. It isn't. As we tried to explain for a long time here, despite the growing support, not just in Georgia, but across the country, and yes, by many Democrats, for such a computer-marked paper ballot system. 
It's not just GOP-leaning jurisdictions like Georgia that are considering moving to these newfangled and still unverifiable touchscreen systems that, uh, you know, print computer paper summary cards for the voters or so-called ballot marking devices or BMDs. In key states like Pennsylvania and Texas, officials are moving towards these kind of systems um, made by the same private voting system vendors who have cashed in on billions of taxpayer dollars from the government uh, with these systems to, to, to pawn off the, their flawed and failed, unverifiable voting systems that, frankly, have been used in all 50 states for years. Even here in Los Angeles County now, believe it or not, the largest single voting jurisdiction in the nation, our own registrar, registrar recorder, County Clerk Dean Logan, has announced that L.A. County itself will be moving to a 100% unverifiable touchscreen-style ballot-marking device at the polling place that produces a barcoded paper summary card with a human-readable summary of the voters' votes. But as we've also argued, it's impossible to know after an election whether any of those summary cards have actually been verified at all much less correctly, by any voter. Computer scientists, at at least some of them, are now trying to warn against the use of these computer ballot marking systems, even as uh, many still uh, somewhat misleadingly uh, say that these ballot marking devices produce a paper ballot that can be reviewed by voters before they are cast and tallied. Well, last week in Georgia, a committee initially established by now Governor-elect Brian Kemp called the uh, Secure, Accessible and Fair Elections or SAFE Commission. They met to decide whether the entire state should now move to a touchscreen computer marked ballot system rather than a real hand marked paper ballot system that produces ballots known to have been verified by voters before Uh, before their cast by their very nature, because the voter marked it themselves. The new Georgia system uh, being considered is made by ESNS, the nation's largest private voting system vendor, and it would not be unlike the one now planned for use right here in my home county, L.A. County, before the uh, crucial 2020 presidential election. Yes, that's what's coming to L.A. in 2020. All of that, even as a new scientific study by Georgia Tech computer scientists Richard DeMillo and Robert Cadell with Marilyn Marks, a frequent guest here on the broadcast of the Coalition of Good Governance, as this new study finds surprise, just as we have been trying to warn for about 15 years, most voters do not actually review their computer-marked paper ballot printouts and... More disturbingly, even if they do, they often do not notice when the computer has mismarked their ballots. Joining us now to discuss all of this is Richard DeMillo, one of the study's authors and now an outspoken proponent for actual verified voting. Richard DeMillo is a professor of computing and the former dean of computing at Georgia Tech, where he has directed Georgia Tech's Information Security Center. Prior to that, he was uh, Hewlett-Packard's chief technology officer and held a leadership position at the National Science Foundation. His research contributions include computer security, cryptography, and software engineering. He has served on several different boards for cybersecurity and privacy companies. 
and organizations, including the Verified Voting Foundation, and he has served as an election observer on behalf of the Carter Center, which is based in Atlanta. Professor Richard DeMello, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hi, Brad. I uh, I want to get to the findings of your important new study on how and if voters actually verify these computer-marked ballot summaries. But first, I know you were at the so-called Smart Commission uh, hearing last week in Georgia, where the state is considering moving to these new systems across the entire state. Uh, How'd that hearing go, Richard? Uh, well, it was it was uh, it was interesting. It was it was, it was the first um, um, time that the commission had actually sought um, substantive input from from Georgia citizens, and there were about twenty people that got up and and gave two minute um, presentations on mm-hmm. um, on voter security and voter election election in- integrity. Um, I think I think the reaction was mixed. Uh, I think there are there are some people on the uh, on the commission, who understand the issues well uh, and ask probing questions, um, but a surprising number that 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 actually had not given much thought to uh, what uh, election integrity is all about and what these machines are capable of, or what the what the ele- uh, threat to elections might be. Does uh, did you get a sense that the commissioners, uh, the folks actually on the commission and or the public, actually understands and appreciates uh, this difference that we're talking about? Because people hear paper ballots and they think, "Oh, great, we're all taken care of." Do they? Did the commissioners and the public understand the difference between a computer marked paper ballot versus an actual verifiable hand marked paper ballot? I, I think once once it's explained to people that you're that you're uh, imposing a computer between the act of marking the ballot uh, mm-hmm. and recording that that vote, and that you don't have any visibility into what that computer is actually communicating to the tally machine in the in, in the background, they get it. Um, the uh, you know, everyone who who runs a personal computer in in, in their home or has had a um, a, a smartphone mm-hmm. kind of go kablooey on them in in the field understands that these machines uh, are are full of errors. They're they're easy they're easy to hack. Um, they really would like some way of, of, of verifying that the vote that they cast is the vote that actually gets gets counted. Uh, but it takes a while to say that. And so if you're inclined to listen uh, for um, for a couple of minutes, you can get the message um, across to people. Uh, if, uh, as many of the, of the commissioners um, were apparently um, um, you know, predisposed to, to adopt whatever uh, marketing um, information was ESS, ESNS provided. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you, you get you know, a different different reaction. You get you get kind of a knee jerk reaction, uh, and and that's generally true with with the members of the commission. I think I've seen uh, some of the defenders of the computer uh, marked ballot idea in Georgia arguing that a pen and paper ballot system would be simply too difficult for Georgia voters to use because they've been using uh, these touchscreen systems for 15 years, which kind of blows my mind. But I'm interested to your response uh, to that as a as a computer scientist who has spent years on the usability of such systems. Is there something uh, in, in, in Georgia itself, is there something going on in Georgia that would make uh, f- filling in an oval on a piece of paper more complicated there than it would anywhere else in the country. You would you would think so from following the the, the debate. I think there's a few things going on. Um, w- one one um, 
Um, one response that that we get from people is is that it's a step backwards to move to paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have these these high tech devices. Uh, why can't we make them secure? Why why can't we use them? It just seems really old fashioned to move to to, to pencil and, and paper. Mm-hmm. And it takes a while to to talk through the issues uh, with with that. I I have friends. I have relatives. That that ask why you can't do internet voting, why you can't vote on your uh, on your smartphone, and, and it does take a while to to talk people through the issues. Oh, tell me um, about it. <laughs> Fifteen yeah, yeah. years, and, yeah. Go and, ahead. And and, and there's there, there's there's another uh, another line of um, uh, of response that that really has more to do um, with um, uh, with I, I think misrepresenting. What um, what the uh, what the voters tell tell people. So you you hear all the time for for example, voters don't want to vote with with pencil and paper. Voters want the high tech devices. And, and and there's actually no data to back that back that up. I mean this this is information that comes from the the vendors, mm-hmm. uh, not from any scientific study. And and you know you mentioned the study that that we did. Our approach here has been has been to kind of get to the heart. Of what the question is, and, and adopt a well. Why don't we find out attitude? Why don't we conduct an experiment? Why don't we gather the data and see what's actually going on? And I want to I want to talk about that study uh, specifically because I've been sort of waiting for that study for many years uh, to come out. Um, I've been making a similar argument that I think you find in your study, but uh, I have been uh, criticized over the years from time to time as a luddite for not seeing the writing on the wall that everything should be done with computers now. Given your credentials, uh, Rich DeMillo, as a professor of computing and, uh, you know, a dean at Georgia Tech, et cetera, um, has anyone tried to tar you with that particular criticism that, oh, you just need to get with it? You're old-fashioned. You're a Luddite, Rich DeMillo? Yeah. Yeah, the the former Secretary of State um, thinks I'm a, I'm a Luddite. I sent him my resume so he knows my, my, my job history, but... Uh, uh, he he seems to think that I don't know much about technology. Oh my God! Um, are you familiar with the uh, system being prepared for use out here in L.A. County, which is uh, being designed by the county itself? Uh, it's designed by the county. I think they're they're hiring vendors to to build it for them. Theoretically, the county would own the source code, but it would still use. Touchscreens, uh, tablet computers to produce a barcoded ballot summary card for tabulation. Have you been uh, able to follow that uh, that that yes, effort out here in LA? Yeah, we've been following what's going on out there. Uh, do you have the same concerns about the system that they are putting together for 2020 out here in LA as you do about the one they're looking at in Georgia? I I, I do. When 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 you look at at uh, resystematizing any any process, what you want to ask yourself is, has the cost-benefit study been, been done? And, and in the case of, of voting, particularly with barcodes, mm-hmm. you have to ask yourself, what is the purpose of the barcode? Um, why, why are we, um, forget about the security of the, of the situation, why are we incurring the expense to provide barcode writers and readers uh, for every, every polling place, every precinct uh, in, the, in the county? They don't add any value to the to the process, it's no easier to cast or count votes using barcodes. Um, the only thing that they do is obscure the um, uh, the actual vote from the voter who's looking at the barcode, trying to decode it. 
Proponents, of course, of those type of uh, barcoded systems will argue that uh, voters uh, will be able to hold these computer printed cards in their hand. They'll be able to study the printouts uh, and look at this human readable. It's a barcode and a human readable summary uh, in order to verify the accuracy of these uh, ballot cards before they're cast into the optical scanner. But your new study uh, offers some interesting data on that score. Professor uh, Andrew Appel at uh, Princeton uh, University, computer scientist there who frankly has hacked just about every electronic voting and tabulation system in existence, uh, he cites your study to argue that voters should mark paper ballots by hand. Tell me what your study found uh, and how you found it that led him uh, to, to make that pronouncement. Right. So, so we started with the, with the question that, that you asked. Can, can voters, can, can an average person actually look at a paper ballot uh, and verify that that is the ballot that, that he or she intended to, to cast? And it, it seems like a simple question, but it turns out to be not so simple when you put it to the, uh, to the test. Um, you know, there are, there are a lot of reasons for, for asking that kind of question. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the psychology of, of how people remember things is in, in recent uh, years come under uh, a lot of attention for a variety of, of reasons. And, and we wanted to know when, when someone gets, um, gets a printout uh, that represents um, uh, choices that they've made a few seconds ago, how good are they at actually um, uh, verifying that, that the receipt that they have mm-hmm. is the set of choices that they, that they made? And the, and the answer is not very good. Uh, and it's, it's not surprising that they're, that they're not very, uh, very good. And the longer the ballot is, the more difficult it is to, to remember what's, um, what, what's happened. Uh, so we, we, gave, um, uh, we gave ballots to, um, uh, to voters who were voting in the, in the um, uh, 2018 um, 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 primary elections in mm-hmm. Tennessee, uh, asked them uh, whether or not the ballots that they were looking at were the ballots that they had had cast just a few seconds ago, um, and and the answer was um, uh, no. They 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 by and large couldn't uh, couldn't do that. They did um, no better than random uh, at at um, deciphering whether or not the receipt that they had in front of them represented the ballots that they had cast. So I'm clear on this, uh, and this was in, I guess, Gatlinburg, uh, Tennessee in May 2018. They used these computer-printed, barcoded uh, BMD devices in that uh, in that jurisdiction currently? They did. And, they did. and so you said, your report says you showed them immediately after they deposited their ballot. You asked them to review an unvoted copy of the ballot that they voted on. Uh, meaning not the selections they made, but just the ballot itself, right? Is is this, are, are these the races you just voted on? Do I understand that correctly? Right, be, be, because we couldn't we couldn't um, uh, kind of intercept them as mm-hmm. they were as they were voting. Um, we we had to we had to be content with um, um, with with interviews after they had mm-hmm. um, they had voted. But but the experimental design. Uh, tried to correct for that. So, so what we did was uh, was three things. One, one is we we counted the number of people that actually checked their their ballots, which is an interesting aspect of the of the experiment. How, how many people did? Because uh, uh, I've often argued nobody checks these things after this long process on these systems. They print out the ballot and they don't actually review them. Well, yeah, for all intents and purposes, that's true. The the uh, the the, uh, the the average the average person either doesn't check. 
or, or, or gives gives the, um, uh, the the ballot card such a cursory reading uh, that they couldn't possibly have had time to check the entries that they that they made. The average was was 3.9 seconds for a ballot that had, eight, had 18 choices on it. Three point. Th- 3.9 seconds, that's how long they reviewed a ballot with 18 contests on it. Right, right. And, and half of them, you write, half of the voters did not even look at it at all. Is that right? That's, that's, that's... Oh, did we lose you? Nope. Oh, there we go. Uh, I, I didn't hear your answer there. You said you confirmed half of the voters don't even look at the uh, printed no, half, ballot? Half, half, of them, half of them don't don't look at the ballots at all. Um, those those that 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 do um, give it um, by and large a cursory reading that wouldn't allow them to to check it in any meaningful way. And so then you showed them a copy of the ballot, uh, just the races, and you said about fifty percent of them were able to identify uh, when you had, I guess, changed or left off certain races off the ballot. There were there were there were there were two tests that we that we gave them. One one was. Would they recognize the ballot that they had just voted? Uh, and so, and so we we gave them um, uh, randomized, of course. We, we we gave them either the ballot that they had just voted uh, uh, or a different ballot, mm-hmm. and asked them to to, to recognize it. Uh, and um, and by and large, the 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 results were random. That said, people people um, um, mainly didn't recognize the ballot that they had mm-hmm. just voted. And after we had done that. Yeah, uh, we, we 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 then we then asked people in, in a separate test. We, we we asked people to 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 verify um, the ballot that that they had voted, mm-hmm. uh, and and what we gave them was a ballot with errors in it, uh, either missing races or incorrect uh, incorrect candidates, um, and 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 they couldn't do that either. So so no matter how you cut it, um, you're looking at a situation where where the average voter. Uh, is probably not going to be able to um, to identify the, um, uh, the the choices that they had made. I was speaking cases, ten seconds before, just ten seconds before, and they still can. I, I you know I was speaking with uh, Marilyn Marks over the weekend, uh, and uh, your, your co-author on this study, and uh, she pointed out that in essence, these new systems. Um, they're basically requiring every voter to sort of test the system to see if it's working or not after every single vote, and that that is, by and large, an unfair burden to place on voters, not to mention it raises the question about what the hell they can do about it since this is all happening during the actual election, even if they do find a problem. I had a a similar case myself back in 2008, and I used one of these uh, ballot marking devices. It actually misprinted four out of 12 of my own votes. And I looked at that ballot for 20 minutes trying to decide, did I screw it up? Was this my fault? Did I, you know, do I want to go through the whole process again? Um, is that essentially, do you agree with, uh, with Maryland's assessment here that we're actually asking uh, voters to beta test the system in a, in the middle yeah. of an election? I think it's a brilliant analogy. You know, the, the, the stakes have changed, uh, from 2002 when we thought we were asking for something really simple by asking for a voter verifiable paper ballot. They've 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 changed to the the uh, the test that you just described. We're now asking individual voters to conduct tests of the correctness of the machine that they just voted on. 
um, which um, and, and and we hide information from them, so they 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 can't actually do that in a fair way, um, and, and and that that is an unfair burden on the on the voter. And 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 not to mention, uh, you know, in this case, even if they do verify the human readable portion. That's not the portion that's actually tabulated by the system. They use the unreadable barcode, right? And, mean, and, and, and that, that, is the, that is the point of, of, <laughs> of this. That if the machine is compromised, uh-huh. then, then both things that are printed on that receipt come from the same bad seed. They come, they, they come from the compromised, compromised machine. They come from malware that's sitting, uh, sitting on, a, on a computer somewhere printing out this um, this ballot summary, uh, and and the software would know whether or not um, the 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 outputs were supposed to match or not, and it could make it uh, look however however they wanted. It could make it so that uh, so that the 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 English language um, description was 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 accurate and the barcode was inaccurate, or it could make make it so it matched. Or some percentage of the time, it could. It could randomize things, so mm-hmm. it would pull some statistical algorithm that was looking to see whether or not the machines had been compromised. And uh, uh, finally, uh, Rich DeMillo, I, as I've been trying to say, even if uh, everything is uh, printed by the computer correctly as per the voter's intent, and even if they are able to check the ballot and uh, notice that there are problems or not, or that everything is fine with these computer-printed ballots, um there is no way to know after an election if any of those ballots has actually been verified correctly or otherwise by the voters. Doesn't that, by its very definition, uh, 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 harm the confidence in in the results? Right, and and what we're what we're looking at here is a situation where there is just from a mathematical standpoint not enough independently sourced pieces of information. To be able to make those kinds of determinations, you know, when we talk about hand-marked paper ballots and post-election audits, we take into account the fact that that these hand-marked paper ballots will be scanned by computers. That computers could presumably be compromised. We want to know do the totals match the the, the votes the votes cast. Mm-hmm. Well, that's two pieces of independent information. You can do that. You can you can conduct a post-election audit to determine that. But as soon as I throw another computer into the mix. Um, a barcode writer or a barcode reader, uh, for for example, I've screwed up all the math, uh, and there's no way that 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 you can come up with a statistically meaningful audit in that kind of um, environment. And these are all problems that we've created for ourselves. The only reason we're having this discussion is that someone has decided that having an expensive pen to mark a ballot is more important than the transparency of the election process itself. As soon as you get rid of that ballot marking devices, the universe goes back to normal, the mathematics works out, uh, we can conduct auditable elections in a much more secure and verifiable way. And last question here, uh, Rich, just to be crystal clear, as a guy who has spent a career in uh, computer science and security and software design and, and so forth, your recommendations for a new voting system, whether it is in Georgia or Pennsylvania or Texas or L.A. County or anywhere else in the U.S. where they may be considering, where they are considering new voting systems, what would you tell them to do? Handmark paper ballots. If the, the 
precinct is sufficiently large, uh, optical scans or mark sense scanners to, to, to tally things in a post-election audit before election certification to determine that the totals match. Hand-marked paper ballots. Uh, Rich DeMillo, greatly appreciate uh, the work that you're doing in Georgia. It's quite crucial and uh, greatly appreciated. I'll point folks uh, to your study. Uh, Rich DeMillo is professor of computing and the former dean of computing at Georgia Tech. Uh, where he has directed Georgia Tech's Information Center. He has also uh, served on the board of the Verified Voting Foundation. We'll link to them as well. Professor, greatly appreciate you joining us today on the broadcast, sir. Thank you, Brad. You bet. All right, let's uh, take a quick break here, and we'll come back with some more news of the day. And if you have any uh, questions or concerns about this, yes i got to remind you, this is where we are going here in L.A. County. Touchscreen ballot marking devices. Uh, Give me a call if you like. I'll try to answer and clarify as needed. I know we've got a a lot of listeners in the L.A. County area who may be surprised to learn that we are headed towards this sort of a a computer-marked touchscreen system in so-called progressive Los Angeles. And I suspect our registrar recorder out here, Dean Logan, uh, who we've had on the show several times over the years, uh, not lately, since he has not taken me up of late uh, for some invitations to be on this show. I hope he'll uh, he'll join us in the future. Um, I suspect he might love to hear from you with your opinions about the new system uh, that he has been planning and working on for about five years now. A listener, uh, Desi Doyen, you say a listener uh, called in to ask how we can organize voter opposition to stop this uh, BMD system in L.A.? Yes, she was hoping that maybe there was some way that voters could stand up and say, no, nah, we don't want this. Uh, you know what? Uh, A, contact the uh, registrar recorder out here in L.A. County. Other than that, yes, please organize. I'm busy doing a daily radio show. Otherwise, I would lead that charge. I've been trying to get this message out for years now about this. Uh, this coming system. We do need some uh, organization if this is going to be stopped here in the nation's largest voting jurisdiction. Yeah, and as you say, with it being the nation's largest voting jurisdiction, there's a great deal of incentive for other states to pick up what L.A. has already developed. So I suppose that would be the same answer for people in other states to pay attention to what your secretary of state and especially your county boards of elections are setting up uh, for selections for you to vote on. Especially with Democrats. In Congress, years ago, I spoke with uh, Congressman Rush Holt, who told me directly on the phone, Brad, I would like every voter in the country to cast a vote on a BMD. And he is literally a rocket scientist. And I tried to explain how insane this was. Now we at least have a little bit more ammunition uh, in this uh, newly released uh, study from uh, DeMillo et al. Uh, Anyway, my phone number is 818-985-5735 if you'd like to ring in on that. I got a bunch of other news to cover as well. That is all coming up on the broadcast after a quick break. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. No pills gonna cure my ill. I got a bad case loving you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. We will get to your phone calls momentarily at 818 985 Five seven three five. That is uh, coming up. Whether you got uh, questions or concerns about the uh, touchscreen computer ballot marking devices coming to a jurisdiction near you, whether you're in L.A. or Texas or Georgia or Pennsylvania or Tennessee or beyond. Um, uh, very quickly, a federal uh, George W. Bush appointed judge in Texas late on Friday struck down. The entire Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare, on the grounds that it is unconstitutional because the mandate requiring people to buy health care, health insurance is itself unconstitutional and therefore the rest of the law cannot stand without it. When the Supreme Court upheld a mandate, that mandate, I'm sorry, as constitutional back in 2012, it was based on Congress's taxing power. Congress said that the court, um, uh, well, that the, the Congress, the court said that Congress could legally impose a tax penalty on people who do not have health insurance. But in the new case, the plaintiffs, led by Texas, argued that with the penalty, penalty now zeroed out by Congress in last year's uh, GOP Trump tax cuts, Uh, The individual mandate had become unconstitutional and therefore the rest of the law was somehow unconstitutional as well. If this decision stands, uh, about 17 million Americans will lose their health insurance, according to the Urban Institute. That includes millions who gained coverage through the law's expansion of Medicaid. And millions more who receive subsidized private insurance through the law's online marketplaces. Insurers will also no uh, no longer have to cover young adults up to the age of 26 under their parents' plans. Annual and lifetime limits on coverage will again be permitted. There will then also be no cap on out-of-pocket costs to you and I, the consumers. Also gone will be the law's popular protections. For people with pre-existing conditions, without those protections, insurance uh, insurers could then return to denying coverage to such people or charging them more. They could also return to charging people more based on their age, their gender or their profession. The Kaiser uh, Family Foundation uh, nonpartisan research organization finds that uh, 52 million adults would be rejected for coverage under the practices that were in effect in most states before the Affordable Care Act. If this law is struck down, which uh, Donald Trump lauded over the weekend when uh, when the judge made this ruling on Friday night. 
Larry Levitt, the uh, senior VP at the Kaiser Family Foundation, uh, tweeted, if this Texas decision on the ACA is upheld, it would throw the individual insurance market and the whole U.S. healthcare system into complete chaos. But he notes the case still has a long legal road to travel before that becomes an immediate threat. Um, so this decision will be appealed. It could make its way all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. That'll take a while. So for the moment, all you need to know is that nothing has actually changed. For now uh, or for this year, your insurance coverage will not change due to whatever the, this uh, George W. Bush appointed judge decided on Friday. Uh, and while the federal open enrollment period for Obamacare uh, for 2019 on healthcare.gov, that ended over the weekend. Um, however, there are still some states that run their own exchanges and are uh, you can still t sign up there for the next year, including out here in California, which, along with Connecticut, actually extended the enrollment period a bit over the weekend. Um, the uh, let's see, it was uh, both Connecticut and California made this announcement. They're extending their deadline uh, in uh, Connecticut out by a full month. Now you can still sign up for uh, the uh, Federal Affordable Care Act and the subsidies that go with it. Some people are paying zero dollars for health care coverage in Connecticut until uh, January 15 now. Uh, covered California, that's California's version of the ACA, was already, uh, the deadline was already in January, January 15. But the deadline to enroll for coverage that begins on January 1st was originally, uh, that was going to end over the weekend. They have now extended that by five more days. So if you want uh, coverage beginning January 1 in California, you can still do it. Uh, until uh, Friday, December 21 um, at the uh, Covered California site. The uh, Also in Colorado, open enrollment runs through mid-January in uh, Washington, D.C. and New York. Enrollment runs through the end of January in Massachusetts. You can still sign up through January 23 in Minnesota. Open enrollment runs through January 13 in Rhode Island. Uh, you can uh, uh, sign up through uh, December 31st of this year. So if you go to healthcare.gov, that will link to uh, any of the state-run exchanges where you can sign up. Thought you'd want to know. Our phone number is 818-985-5735. If you have thoughts about our last segment, about this, or about the stuff I'm going to talk, uh, talk about in a second, you can reach me, 818-985-KPFK. Let's fire it off with our old friend Mo in Long Beach. Hey, Morris, welcome to the broadcast, sir. What you got for me today, brother? Well, Brad, you know we can solve this problem with the voting machines and all that if we wanted to. I use my debit card, and then folks know what I bought, when I bought it, who I bought it from. I mean, it really can be that simple. Well, but that's not and a solution, uh, Morris. We don't want everyone to know who you voted for. We have a secret ballot in voting. That's why it's kind of more complicated than just, you know, buying something with your credit card. 
A lot of things happen in darkness, Brad, I'm telling you. And if these folks really wanted to address our voting situation here, how come they're not talking to Greg Pollard? How come they're not talking to people like you, Brad? And how come they're not talking to my boy, uh, Chris Kobach? You know, they were talking about how the Russians, they keep using the same vernacular, meddling in the election, meddling in the elections. I'm going to ask you a question, Brad, and I'm serious. Mm -hmm. Straight up. Who do you think had a greater impact on the election, Chris Kobach or the Russians? Well, uh, Chris Kobach, in his case, he's the secretary, was the secretary of state of uh, of Kansas. I guess he still is for a few more days. He was running for governor and he lost. He was rejected. The Republican uh, candidate for governor was rejected in deep red Kansas. Uh, who had more of a, an, an effect on the election? I see what you're getting at, but I can't tell you the answer, Morris. Um, it's two new studies out today uh, that I was hoping to get to in a moment. Maybe I'll try to get to them shortly here. Um, show that there was, in fact, a pretty huge influence operation on the American elections before, during, and after the 2016 race. Uh, and, in fact, uh, African Americans specifically were covered uh, more than anyone else, at least disproportionately more so, by this effort. You don't think that had an effect on, on the electorate, uh, Mo? This is, how, this is how I see it. The Russians, what they did was mental. What Chris Kobach did was physical. Major difference. Chris Kobach should be in prison. Sometimes I listen to the little D's. I call them Democrats, little D Democrats. Mm -hmm. When they say, well, our, our democracy should be protected, our democracy. Well, how come y'all ain't having uh, arrest warrants sent out for people like Chris Kobach and stuff like that? I hope the Mueller investigation, uh, it can go pretty much anywhere, like when they investigated Nixon for the White House investiga investigation. Mm -hmm. This thing can go anywhere. I hope they go there too, Brad, because, you know, Martin Luther King once, once said something. He said, you know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And back in the day when folks like myself couldn't vote, everybody was clued because they could vote. Now their votes are being threatened. So we got to look out for people we don't like sometimes because one day that same spirit might be at our doorstep. You're damn right. Thanks, Morris. I appreciate that call. And uh, you're right. We fight for absolutely everybody's right to vote on this show, no matter who they may uh, it may be voting for or against, or even if they're not voting at all. Yes, you have a right to not vote if you want, and we will fight to protect that right. Our phone number is 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. And as long as he mentioned uh, uh, the Mueller investigation and uh, Nixon and Trump and everything else, I will point you towards uh, a new article uh, cited by Lawrence Tribe today, the uh, great Harvard uh, constitutional law professor at bradblog.com, written by our friend and um, a legal analyst, Ernie Canning, over there, uh, saying that, in fact, Donald Trump can and should be indicted as uh, even as sitting president of the United States if he uh, if he is found to have committed a crime, a felony, and that uh, just because he's president does not mean he should be allowed uh, to escape justice uh, by being uh, criminally indicted. He explains why in that article at bradblog.com. We talked about it a little bit on uh, last Friday's show, I think on, on Friday's show. Am I right about that? Who did we talk? Who was our guest? I can't remember any. You can't remember either. Can I know. You? I was just having a total brain fart uh, on that. Uh, let me so find sad. Out. So sad. Well, when you can let me know who was our guest on the last broadcast, boy, you think we're ready for Christmas? 
Uh, well, well, we'll come through with that breaking news. Otherwise, you can download it at bradblog.com and read Ernie Canning's article over there. In some other news here interior over from over the weekend, uh, Interior Department Secretary Ryan Zinke. Super, oh, yes, thank you. Greg, Greg yes, Holman. Greg Holman yeah. of the... Uh, Where from? <laughs> I'm trying to remember now. Public Citizen. <laughs> that part Public I remembered. I can't believe org. you this didn't... This terrible, Yeah, you need a break Sorry as about well. that, folks. Yeah. Fail. All right. Um, over the weekend, uh, as I said, uh, Ryan Zinke apparently submitted his resignation to the White House. Uh, the Interior Department uh, Secretary, he has been long facing intense pressure to step down because of the multiple probes tied to his real estate dealings in his home state of Montana and his conduct in office. Uh, another member of Donald, I only hire the best people, Trump's uh, swamp team going down months after he already should have, after he already should have been fired uh, for being wildly corrupt in his post, uh, not to mention for his fossil fueled attack on the uh, nation's interior as the Interior Department's secretary. Uh, the White House, uh, according to Washington uh, Post, has been pushing Zinke to resign for weeks. And apparently last month uh, they told him he had until the end of the year or he was going to be fired. Uh, the key moment apparently was uh, in his loss of support at the White House came back in October when Interior's inspector general referred one of its inquiries to the Justice Department for a criminal investigation. Uh, that probe, which continues, is examining whether a land deal that Zinke struck with the chair of the oil services giant Halliburton in his hometown of Whitefish, Montana, whether that constituted a conflict of interest. Oh, you think? Zinke blamed his departure in a private resignation letter uh, on, quote, vicious and politically motivated attacks. Uh, I suspect uh, Desi Doyen, you'll have more on uh, Green News Report uh, tomorrow. Uh, yes, on, on yes, this. I, mean, I fully plan to have more on that on the Green uh, News Report tomorrow. But I will add that yeah. you know his uh, discussion about how he said, "quote in his statement, quote after 30 years of public service, I cannot justify spending thousands of dollars defending myself and my family against these false allegations." And most people, including me, are looking at that as a, translating that as he's facing all of these investigations and also an incoming Congress full of Democrats, especially in the House, where they've yep. regained the majority, who are planning, to, who were planning to actually make him answer questions. So he's heading for the exit. Yes, he is. And I can hardly blame him. All right, we'll take a quick uh, Senate, uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, said Ryan Zinke was one of the most toxic members of the cabinet uh, in the way he treated our environment, our precious public lands, and the way he treated the government like it was his personal honeypot, the swamp cabinet will be a little less foul without him, said Schumer. All right, quick break, and we're back uh, with more news from the past few days here, some election news, uh, some election fraud news, and uh, if I have time, your calls at 818-985-5735. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. 
Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Welcome back to uh, the Bradcast and the Radio Goo Goo and Gaga from uh, me, Brad Friedman. Thank you for uh, sticking with us here. We've got uh, some more calls ahead. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Actually, let me uh, let me get right to uh, Herbert in Norwalk. Hey, Herb, welcome to the Bradcast, sir. You got my hackles up. I don't. I don't agree with you at all about people having the right not to vote. Mm-hmm. We send people off to wars to get killed and maimed for their right to vote. And like in the back last big election, fifty percent of the people that should have voted didn't even vote. So we get twenty-three percent put somebody like Trump in office, which is not a mandate. And then uh, also, I think there should be at least seventy-five percent of people that can vote must vote to get a mandate. And then if they don't vote, they should do like they do in Australia, fine them $50 for not voting. So you don't think they have a right now? Would they have a right uh, if they're forced to vote, if it's mandated voting, uh, they don't have a right to protest by not voting? Do they have a right to uh, do they show up? Can they not make a selection on the ballot as far as you're concerned? No, there has to be a vote. They have to vote one way or another. Whatever way they they want to vote, that's their privilege. But to actually not vote is not a privilege. It's just like uh, you have responsibilities to pay bills and other things, but but in in deference to people that go off to wars to give them the right to vote, they should have to vote. Well, let me challenge you a little bit, Herb, if you don't mind. Uh, first, yeah, first you described uh, this this uh, the vote as a privilege. I would argue it is not a privilege. I would argue it is a no, right. It's not a privilege. It's a right. It's a requirement. Well, it's not a requirement either. You you're, you'd like to see it as such, but yeah, uh, but this is a a right to vote, not a privilege to vote. You don't have to earn it, correct? Well, right now, yeah, I mean, it's, okay. it's just whether you want to or not, but I'm saying that it should be required. I understand what you're. No, I understand what you're saying. Uh, should people uh, who have had that right taken away in uh, in jail, for instance, should they be required to vote as well? Yes. Okay. Anybody that's qualified to vote should be required to vote. Okay, and uh, you have said uh, several times here that this uh, right to vote, you call it a privilege, but the right to vote was uh, was was won by uh, people overseas fighting uh, f- fighting so wars our, overseas. Our people sending, uh, sending our people overseas to fight for, the, for the, our, their right to vote. We're, we're sending people overseas to fight for others' rights to vote in other countries. Yeah, you know they're always telling us that uh, that we we fight these wars to protect our rights, our our constitution, and yeah. all that, and that's what gives them the right to vote. 
Yeah, well, uh, I might give them the right to vote, but our right to vote, I would argue, is inherent uh, here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about Americans fighting wars, yeah. and our leaders tell us we're fighting these wars to protect our Constitution and our rights to vote. Yeah, and of course, I don't buy them. I think they're full of it. Let me ask you this, uh, Herb. Uh, I mean, that's in other words, that's not why we're actually fighting these wars. No, I know uh, that. Yeah. You know that, yeah. but, but that's... But nonetheless, the fact that people are dying yeah. to protect this country so that it doesn't get overrun by other governments that wouldn't want us to vote, yeah. maybe take the vote away totally. Yeah, I know. I just I just hate to give so much credit, uh, frankly, uh, to the troops. I think there's a hell of a lot of people okay, uh, protecting our democracy. No, I, I understand that, Herb. Let me ask you very quickly before I let you go. If we had a compromise that, yes, it was a mandated requirement to vote, but there was an option in every race for none of the above, and if none of the above oh, won, I then we'd have... That. You, I would love that. That's another right. thing that I've thought about many times. All right. If we got none of the above, too many people voted none of the above, they would have to go back to the drawing okay. board and put people up there that were worthy of voting for. Okay, Herb, I think we have found common ground. I'm with you. <laughs> we'll do that if if there is a right uh, for none of the above uh, in every race. Hey, thanks, well, Herbert. Yeah. The other option is they pay $50 for not voting. Yeah, I know. I'm not crazy about that idea. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate the call, brother. Uh, let me get to I have time for one more. I do. Uh, Sasha in L.A., welcome to the broadcast, Sasha. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I guess you, uh, you, might, you, might have, you might have might been waiting for that answer, or Desi tipped, off, tipped, tipped you off to my... Uh, to which my, answer is that? To, to nota, <laughs> none of the above. Oh, none of the above. But, no, uh, I've been. Uh, that's that has been my compromised okay. position for a long time. I I I think people have the right not to vote, but I'm uh, if nothing, if not a compromiser. Yeah, and Ralph, we'll... Ralph Nader did it. You know, he tried to get this on the ground in California about 21 years ago with the Oaks Project, mm-hmm. and I was you know really out there help, trying to help it help make it happen. Unfortunately, it didn't really take root. But you know, maybe now. We could do something like that. And I think it's more potent than just giving, giving people I mean, the, the illusion that, well, they're, getting, they're accomplishing something by exercising their right to not vote. This gives your vote some teeth. Yeah. You know, if you want to vote and say none of the above and it really counts, then, you know. Yeah, if, 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 if none of the above wins, then uh, start over from scratch. I'm okay with that. I appreciate, uh, appreciate your thoughts there, uh, Sasha. As, as Ralph Nader always said, it, was send, it would send them packing, you know? There you go. Unfortunately. Get rid of those candidates. Yeah, you know? I know. But, you know, it, it takes a few decades before anybody pays attention, unfortunately, to Ralph Nader, sadly. Well, thanks, for, thanks. thanks for being there. You bet. Thank you, Sasha. Uh, the Our uh, IT uh, manager here at KPFK, uh, Jonathan, uh, puts in a note here to say, why do soldiers need to go to war so I can vote? Who has an army and is using it to take away my vote? Yeah, good point. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate that. Uh, Oh, my update on the North Carolina GOP election fraud scheme in North Carolina that is still unfolding, still expanding. That update's going to have to wait till tomorrow. 
on our next thrilling broadcast, which I hope you will join me for. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator, D'Angelo Jones, and to my guest today, Professor Richard DeMillo of Georgia Tech and the Verified Voting Foundation. Uh, if you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Yeah,